Well, tonight, I want to talk to you that God is wanting courageous Christians. God is looking for courageous men and women that will follow him and love him and live their lives according to his plan. Courage is one of those things that I think all of us want. And the first thing that comes to my mind as I prepared for this message this evening, the first thing that very comes to, it comes to my mind at all is, do you remember the cowardly lion in the Wizard of Oz? Do you remember how he just wanted courage? He wanted somehow or another that he was hoping that Oz, the great Oz, would give him courage that he needed. Well, for believers that lack courage tonight, I want you to know that that's exactly what God has for you when you're born again. God does not give you a spirit of cowardice. God did not give you, when you gave your heart to Jesus, a cowardly spirit. And you know, sometimes some Christians, when I talk to them, they're so frightened and they're so afraid. They're, they're afraid to pray in public. They're afraid to witness to others. You know, I've had people, when I went to share Christ with somebody, you know, it's actually caused them to be embarrassed and to be squeamish. And they said, weren't you embarrassed? Don't you feel like you embarrassed that person? And I've been able to tell them about the people that have actually prayed with me and given their hearts to Christ or folks that have thanked me for praying them. God does not give us a spirit of fear. But if you'll look with me tonight at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 7, there's a wonderful and an amazing passage of Scripture there that I want you to see this evening. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power love and a sound mind. I want you to underline those words in your outline tonight. God has given you a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. Those are three hallmarks of every Christian. Those are three things that mark every passionate follower of Christ. And that is power, love, and a sound mind or self-control. Billy Graham says that if we lose courage, all hope is lost. When a Christian loses courage, all hope is lost. And I have read general after general's biography and autobiographies where they've talked about that if, if an army loses courage, if a soldier loses courage, all hope is lost. General Patton, according to a chaplain who heard him talking one time, says, courage is nothing more than fear that that has been bathed in prayer. Wow, fear that is bathed in prayer. And I don't know anything about whether General Patton was a follower of Jesus Christ or not. I, I have a, a friend who is now in heaven that from Smyrna, Georgia, that was, a, that was an aide to General Patton. I have actually a little small gift that he gave me from General Patton's collections of things that he had given to him. He thought the world of General Patton, but during the war, you know, he wasn't living for Christ, so he doesn't know whether General Patton actually ever gave his heart to Jesus. And I've never found anything that said he did. And, and I've been to his grave in, 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 in Luxembourg. But here's the thing that I want to say to you. That's a true statement. Courage is fear bathed in prayer. Every Christian knows what it's like to struggle with fear. Every Christian knows what it's like to be afraid. Even the apostle Paul knew what it was like to be afraid. The only one that I think was never afraid was Jesus. And I'm not Jesus and you're not Jesus, but I don't mind being in the company of men like Paul or men like David. They understood what fear was. But here's what God does when we're born again. God enables us to live an abundant life, not a cowardly life. 
God enables you to live like a man of God or a woman of God and not like the cowardly lion that you remember from the Wizard of Oz. God enables you to live with such grace and such power and such truth. I want you to look with me. We studied the book of uh, 1 Peter some time ago, but notice what 1 Peter says, be well balanced temperate, sober of mind. I'm reading from the Amplified Version. Be well balanced, temperate, sober of mind. Be vigilant and cautious at all times. Now, that's a pretty good description of a well-balanced life. And, and I know that word balance gets overused a lot. And I try to avoid using that word. Um, I think that one of the things we need to learn is rhythms. That's a message for another time. But since this is a great translation, I don't mind using it at all. So there's some words we overuse, but tonight I think this is a great descriptor. Be well-balanced, temperate, sober of mind. God gives you not a spirit of fear, but he gives you sound mind or self-control. Be vigilant, cautious at all times, for that enemy of yours, the devil, there is a real devil, and I know people mock at that, laugh at that, but there is a real devil, and they're deceived, and that's why they're laughing. That enemy of yours, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion in furious hunger, seeking someone to seize upon and devour. Now, I did something I don't recommend, but I went on to YouTube and I looked up some videos of lions and how they take down their prey. Boy, that was brutal. It was brutal to watch what happened. I could only watch a couple of them. And, and it's not that I'm a softie, but I just didn't like seeing a poor antelope or I didn't like seeing a baby taken down. And, uh, but that the lion would try to isolate a weaker member. Uh, the lion would try to isolate, and some of you are probably already thinking, I'm going to Google and watch this, you know. But it would isolate, and then it would take down that weaker member, or a pack of lions would jump upon uh, that weaker member. They take it down. They devour that. Well, the Bible says that's how the enemy is with you and I. He's always watching for weaknesses in our life. He's always watching for those people who wander away from the body of Christ. And if I see any danger during this COVID time, many of us have gotten comfortable worshiping from our homes. Many of us gotten comfortable worshiping from our, from our sofas, maybe sitting in our pajamas and not really getting up and preparing ourselves to hear the word of the Lord like we would if we came to church. We've gotten comfortable like that and we think, you know what? This is, I can do church like this from now on. There is no substitute for gathering with the, body, the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Because because the enemy is looking for people he can isolate, cut away from the herd, so to speak, to take them down. And when that happens and you're not in close fellowship with your small group, or you're not close fellowship with other believers, then something comes in, the enemy comes in, and when you see him coming, and maybe he's coming with a pride of other lions, or in this case, demonic influences, fear is struck into our hearts. I want to go back to the Amplified Version again, and I want you to look at this, because what the Amplified Version does is it will take occasional Greek words, and it will help you see the meaning. And I just want you to know, I wasn't using that word cowardness just because I chose to use it. Look at how 2 Timothy 1.7 is translated. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but if you really want to know the word, timidity is not the best word. Cowardness is the best word. Craven, cringing, fawning fear. Cowardness, craven, cringing, fawning fear. 
But instead, God has given us a spirit of power and love and a calm and well-balanced mind, discipline and self-control. Boy, if you were here at church, I'd ask you right now, let's just take a moment and praise the Lord. Those are the hallmarks of a spirit-filled believer, a passionate follower of Christ. Power, love, and the sound mind that God gives to you and I. And I hope tonight that if you're lacking in any area of your life like that, that you're just going to begin to ask God to fill you with this Holy Spirit. I pray that if you're lacking in any area, whether it's power or love or sound mind, I pray that you're going to just begin asking Jesus to touch you. Because, listen, power without love is very brutal. I want the power of God manifested in my life. I want the power of God when I go out into the community and I'm ministering and I'm serving. But if I have power without love, then I risk becoming brutal and dictatorial and expecting every every person to kind of bow to me and yield to me rather than leading them to yield to Christ. But love without self-discipline, well, that's just sentimentality. You know, love needs self-discipline. It's the self-indulgent parent. It's the self-indulgent leader. It's the the person that wants to be liked. It's the person that romanticizes love. One of my friends who is now in heaven that I went to Bible college with one night, I remember he came up to my room and he was talking to me and and he made a comment that night and I, I was only 18 years old, I think at the time. I was a freshman in college and he made Well, I was 18. I said, I I think. I was 18 years old. And Donnie made this statement to me. Now, he was a senior. Uh, He'd become like a mentor to me in college. And he later went on to pastor in Virginia, just a godly man. He and his wife, Brenda. Donnie said to me that night, he said, some people are in love with the idea of being in love. And they never build a healthy marriage. And you know what? To be just a senior in Bible college, I found out that Donnie's words were really pretty wise because I've met a lot of people who are sentimental about marriage. They're sentimental about a family. They're sentimental about their community, but they never really have the self-discipline that it takes to become the man or the woman so that their marriage enjoys the abundant blessings of God, their family enjoys the abundant blessings of God, and their congregation enjoys the abundant blessings of God. And the the abundant blessings of God, and and I hate I even have to say this, but because so many people just associate abundant blessings with lots of money or fancy clothes or fancy cars. Friends, I've never saw a person in the intensive care. I've never met a person who was on their deathbed. I've never met a person like the Apostle Paul. We're receiving his very last letter that he wrote. This is the last letter the Apostle Paul read. He's writing this from prison. He's about to put his head on Nero's chopping block. He's about to literally give his life for the gospel. Paul is not worried about a new toga. He's not worried about a new chariot. He's not worried about a a new horse. You know, we're always trying to change our lifestyles. If we get a new car or a new house or new suit, somehow or another we're going to be happy. But when I meet people and they're in the final stages of their life and they're, they're concerned about legacy, it comes down to these things, power, love, and self-control. We want to know that we're surrounded by a community of abundant life. And I think abundance, 
When people just cheapen that to material things, I think they've missed the whole point of the gospel because we can become cowardly about losing our possessions. But God calls us to a greater courage, and that is to be willing to lay down our lives for the gospel. How do you do that? Well, I think Jesus taught us how to do that. I want you to look at this passage with me. Jesus said, every teacher of religious law who becomes like a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. I want you to see three things here, and we're going to go through them real quickly because I just looked up at the clock and I'm running out of time. You see, the teacher implies there had been a lifestyle of learning. The teacher implies there had been this lifestyle of study. There had been this lifestyle of learning. If you watch mine and Becky's prayer update today, one of the things that I mentioned, if, if you don't know scripture that you can pray to help you during this time, text us, email us. It's important that you get the word in you. So a teacher has spent time studying and applying themselves. He said, but he also talks about a disciple. A disciple is someone who lives out the word. They obey the word. And you could, you know, you, I put my fill in there tonight to be living, but living means obeying. When I say I'm living the word, I'm obeying the word. I want to build my life upon the word of God. Now, Jesus says something else about this teacher, this, this passionate follower of Christ. He calls him a homeowner. And the homeowner brings out New gems. In other words, he's constantly sharing. He experiences the overflow of God in his life, the overflow of patience, the overflow of courage, the overflow of joy, the overflow of love, the overflow of self. There's always something to give. You're never going to outgive God. God is a good paymaster. You say, well, pastor, don't you ever get afraid? Of course I get afraid. You know, there are times when I have gowned up and gloved up and put on masks and put on breathing apparatus long before COVID ever came along to go in and to pray with someone when they were sick in the hospital. One of the things that I truly miss is being able to go to the hospitals and pray with people. I called the hospital the other day to see if I could go pray with someone that's critically ill and is all alone. And they said, we're sorry, we just can't allow you to come in. And, and I understand, but... I was dealing with contagious diseases long before COVID came along. And yes, I get afraid. I've gotten afraid when I've gone in there. I've followed up on everything they've told me I needed to do. But I'm in good company because I know Paul was afraid. We'll look at that in a minute. I also know that David was afraid. But look at what Psalms 53 verse 6, excuse me, 56 verse 3 says. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Now, there is the key. You're going to be afraid, but what, what overrules the fear is putting your trust in God. I want to use that quote again. I think it was a great quote, whether or not he was a Christian or not. But when General Patton said, courage is prayer bathed in fear, excuse me, is fear bathed in prayer. What a powerful statement. So when I'm afraid, what I do is I go before the Lord and I just begin to pray. I begin to confess his word over my life, over other people. When COVID first started, I walked all through these pews. I walked up and down through all of these pews. I walked around these pews. I walked around this campus. I went around laying hands on the building saying, God, this is your church. These are your people. I can't go to them right now, but this sanctuary is where we gather to worship. Timber Ridge is where we 
we bring our children to be discipled. The, the youth room is where we bring our students to be discipled. I went into the nurseries. I, I laid hands upon the pastor's offices and prayed for them and their families. And friends, I prayed the word of God, and I still do that. I'm putting my trust in you. Well, I found courage arising in my heart. I found love. I, I love the church now more than ever before. And I discovered the power of self-discipline because we never sulked at home. We never just huddled up for fear. But, you know, we've just stayed involved. The church has stayed involved. Our church has penetrated our community. And our church has grown and thrived because, I believe, because when we could have been tempted to be cowards, we put our trust and our faith and our hope in the Lord. Somebody say amen. Would somebody just, I can't see it, but it would just encourage me to know that you're texting amen right now and you're following along with me. I love the courage of Esther. And, and I just naturally talk about men more because I'm a man. But when Esther was confronted that her people were going to be uh, cruelly mown down, they were gonna, there was going to be a genocide of Jewish people unless someone spoke up for them. And Esther took a great risk upon herself to go before the Persian king. She told her uncle to be praying for her, but I love these words of hers. If I must die, I must die. That's courage. She knew she could lose her life, but God honored her courage, and God not only honored her courage, God delivered her people, the Jewish people, and God delivered the ones that wanted to destroy the Jewish people. God delivered them to the gallows, and he saved the people, and our Jewish friends still celebrate that at the Feast of Hanukkah every year. I think it's just amazing and wonderful. So here's what I want to say as I, as I start getting ready to wrap up this message tonight. Fear and timidity will condemn you to a disastrous life. Fear and timidity will condemn you to a disastrous life. Fear and timidity will consume you. It will rob you of your courage. Fear and timidity will cause you to be like the children of Ephraim. The Bible says the children of Ephraim that they were armed and ready for battle. They had arrows, they had bows, but they turned and ran on the day of battle. They were cowards. And that's how the children of Ephraim are remembered. And that's not the way I want this church to be remembered. It will consume. That's not the way I want you to be remembered for your family. You know, we never stand up, but sometimes I do funerals for people and we never stand up and talk about the bad things in their lives. But when I do the funerals for people and I can talk about the courage of their life. I did a funeral for one of the ladies of our congregation. And I remember being able to stand before, in front of her casket and, 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 and stand before the congregation and tell about her courage in fighting off a gang of rapists who attacked her. And she did not want to dishonor God. She did not want to dishonor her husband. And she literally, she literally almost sacrificed her life to keep her, herself from being raped by this game of attackers. And friends, God delivered her and was with her. She called out in faith. And now her whole family is loving and, and serving the Lord. I preach funerals for men who showed incredible courage in battle. 
But for everyone that I've done like that, there are so many people that I know. There are pastors that I know. There are dads that I know. There are business people that I know that they have run when trouble has come because they have not had the courage to face down the enemy. And unless you think, unless you think that Jesus is going, oh, poor baby, poor baby. Remember the story of the parable of the talents? Remember this verse? I was afraid, one of the servants said, I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. Jesus is telling this story. I was afraid I would lose, so cowardly I hid it. Here it's back. Jesus said of that man, he would be thrown out. He would be cast out. You see, Jesus says something else, and I I think we tend to forget this sometimes because we want to talk about unbelievers and we talk about the corrupt and murderers and adulterers, but never forget what he said in, in the book of Revelation. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, the murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft and worshipers and liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. You see, God puts the coward right in there with some of the worst company that you could ever imagine. And you go, Pastor, why in the world? Because cowards cost other people their lives. Cowards cause other people to go to hell because they're not willing to share the gospel and the good news with them. Cowards turn back in the day of battle like the sons of Ephraim did, and Israel suffers devastating losses. Beloved, hear me tonight. When you gave your heart to Jesus, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. That spirit of fear is not from the Lord, and that's why it's so important that we gather together. But what God does is God equips me to live an abundant life. God equips me to live an abundant life. Just a few moments ago, I told you that that Paul's writing his last letter. Now, Paul, it's interesting in this letter We know that Paul is a man who loves the spiritual gifts. He loves all the spiritual gifts. He even loves those controversial gifts that some of my uh, non-charismatic, non-Pentecostal friends, they shake their heads at and wonder. And that's like the the gift of of praying in the Spirit, or as the King James Version would say, uh, prayer in tongues. He even loves that. But he doesn't, when it comes down to his last letter, Paul doesn't talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Paul doesn't talk about those power gifts. He comes down to a lifestyle of holiness. And I really, you know, I love, I pray in the Spirit every day, and I love spiritual gifts. I believe in divine healing. I believe in all the gifts of the spirits, and and I want them all operating in my life. I want them all operating in your life. So, But it really doesn't matter to me if somebody wants to disagree with me on that. We can still be friends, but holiness matters to me. Purity of life matters to me. Sanctification matters to me. I talked to somebody about that today, and Paul boils it down to this. This is what God has given us, power, love, and self-discipline. Again, you need to mark all three of those. This is what God gives us in our lives. Demas didn't have it. Alexander didn't have it. Demas forsook the apostle Paul because he loved the things of this world. Peter, excuse me, John the apostle had to deal with a man who loved his vanity more, and he was dividing the church over it. But here Paul is, you know, I told you holiness matters to him. Here Paul is, he's in prison. 
He knows he's going to give his life. He's got time to wait before the Lord. He's got time to pray and commune before the Lord. And this grips him. He says, now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness. Now, don't let that, if, if you've got the app and you're following me in the app, highlight it or write it out tonight, the crown of righteousness. Here Paul is at the end of his life, and the crown of righteousness is going more precious to him. The crown of righteousness is getting bigger. Paul is an aged man. His body is failing him. His knees may be, he's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He's suffered all kinds of things. He's an old man now, and yet here he is. He's boiling it all down for us. He's making it succinct in this, this epistle called Second Timothy, and he boils it down, and as he's thinking, he said, there's a crown of righteousness. He's motivated. Paul wasn't thinking about retirement, but right up until the very end, Paul wasn't looking to take it easy. Paul wasn't looking to, to, to sit back on his sofa. Paul wasn't thinking about a climate-controlled sanctuary. It does not take courage to worship in a climate-controlled sanctuary that we sanitize between every service. But Paul there in that prison, the crown of righteousness grows more precious to him, which the Lord... The Lord, God has a crown of righteousness for you. He has a crown of righteousness for me. The righteous judge will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, hallelujah, but it's for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Oh, Maranatha, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. You say, well, are you sure Paul ever got afraid? Yes, Look at this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 7. When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. Fear, underline that, fear on the inside. Now, here's what I want to tell you. Paul observed Sabbath. Paul took his day off. We, we know that. Paul observed, took his day off. But a Christian is never off duty. As a follower of Jesus Christ... You know, you may take a day of rest, but the enemy's never going to take a day of rest. And you should take your day of rest. I, should, I want to be more like my father who rested. I want to be more like God. The devil works all the time. But you and I, we will constantly be facing battle. But here are the kind of battles that I want to just point out to you tonight that are so prevalent in our world today. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Now, your sinful nature, in the old King James ver Version, that would have been your flesh. And we're going to talk about that more in this series on forgiveness as well. The results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, that's putting something else in the place of God, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's from the book of Galatians. Now, I want you to stop and think with me for just a second. You see, the Corinthians, the Corinthians said, Paul, you lack power. If you read First and Second Corinthians, they were such an arrogant lot. They're saying, you lack power. And the Galatians, they questioned Paul whether he really loved them or not. You see, your faith and my faith is always going to be challenged. And our world is no different. I've walked through the streets of ancient Corinth. I've walked through some of the streets of our ancient cities. And I can tell you, 
our culture is no different. I, I don't like what's happening in a lot of parts of our culture, and, and I don't want to beat up on anybody, but I don't like what's happening. I don't like the way it's being fueled. I don't like the way it's being forced upon schools and forced upon businesses. But you need to understand this. And for weak believers who are just getting all flustered up, the church has been through these things before. The body of Christ has been, and Corinth and Rome and Antioch, these places were even more profane than what America is today. More profane than what Brussels would be or what Paris would be. I, you know, I don't even want to get into it. I've talked about it before, but more profane. And still the church conquered. We will not conquer by depending upon politicians. We will not conquer by depending upon the world's philosophy. We have to be people of power, love, and a sound mind that God gives us. Well, I need to wrap it up. I'm out of time. God is just simply looking for people like you and me, men and women of faith, men and women that will follow after him, men and women that will put their trust in God. I want you to look at this verse with me. I will think about each one of your mighty deeds. Everything you do is right. No other God compares with you. God, you alone work miracles, and you have let nations see your mighty power. You say, Pastor, how do I build my faith? Think about the mighty things that God has done. We used to sing a chorus back in the 70s. Think about his goodness. Think about his love. Think about the things he's brought us through. For as high as the heavens above, God is watching over you and me, and he's pulling us through these things. Remember what God has done. I can give you the names of people healed of cancer, the names of people that were healed of blind diseases. I can tell you of nations that have had revivals since I've been alive because a group of young people decided to pray and decided to witness and share Jesus Christ. I can tell you about a church that we planned where a group of students fasted for two weeks with us, came and fasted and prayed every day and worked alongside of us. And we saw a church planted and grown and built a radio station and later came back to build a hospital. Miracles still happen, but remember what God has done. And if you're saying, well, pastor, I've never seen God, get in the battle. If you get in the battle, you'll see what God has done. But please don't be like these men I mentioned earlier. For Paul wrote something to Timothy in 2 Timothy that I think, remember this is his last letter. He says, only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Demas has forsaken him. Others have betrayed him. But this is interesting. Bring Mark with you. I need Mark. You say, well, pastor, I I failed. I used to follow God. I used to be a man or woman of faith. Mark had, put that verse back up. Mark had failed. Mark had failed miserably. Mark was like the sons of Ephraim. He had run. Mark was like the cowardly lion in the Wizard of Oz. He had run. Mark was like some of these people that I've talked to you about earlier. They had ran. But Mark came back to Christ, and he repented, and he was restored. And the apostle Paul would say of him, he will be helpful to me in ministry. Can I tell you something? This is a pastor who feels like Paul. I need men and women of faith who will be helpful in ministry 
working alongside of me. I love you so much. Thank you for joining with us tonight. If you've got any questions, email me right here at office at woodland.church, or you can email me at pastor at woodland.church. And also tonight, please don't forget to tithe and give your missions. And, you know, we just have so much going on. We really need your financial support right now. And there are the ways that you can give. Y'all leave that up while I'm praying. Let me pray for you before you go this evening. Father, I love you so much. I thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us in Michigan. I'm so thankful that spring is back, Lord. But I'm more thankful tonight for Jesus Christ. Lord, you have sent your spirit, and inside of me there is power, there is love, and there is self-control. There is power that seeks to bless. There is love, Father, that seeks to heal and forgive. And there is self-discipline, Lord, that helps me to use them all for your glory and honor. And for everyone who is listening tonight, you will do the same who call upon the name of the Lord. For it's in your name I pray. Amen. Hey, friends, don't forget my message Sunday morning is going to be, be how to forgive yourself. God bless you and good night.